Ladies and gentlemen, dreamers and doers, seekers of purpose and fulfillment, welcome to Passion on Purpose, the podcast that sets your soul on fire and ignites the spark within you. I'm your host, Steph Hilfer, and I'm beyond thrilled you're here. Passion on Purpose features leaders, experts, and sometimes me on center stage. We put the spotlight on visionaries, entrepreneurs, leaders, experts, and everyday heroes to share their journey of self-discovery, enthusiasm, and unwavering determination. We'll explore how they use their passion and purpose to fuel their brand. Alongside our leaders, we'll provide practical tips, actionable advice, and wisdom from our experts across various fields. So if you're ready to unleash your inner fire, shake off the doubts and insecurities, and pursue a life of purpose with unbridled enthusiasm, then let's dive in. All right, guys, we are back with another episode of the Passion on Purpose podcast. And today our leader on center stage is Jonathan Kendall. He is the co-founder of Virtual Worker Now. And I'm so excited to do as we always do and jump on in and go deep in understanding more about Jonathan's passion and purpose for his business. Thank you so much for being here, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm going to just dive in like we do and ask you, what is your why? Wow. Yeah, that's a really big question. Okay. I think uh, since I was little, I've always been a leader and even a leader of leaders. Like I've always been like the captain and then I was the president. And then I thought, no, let me be the president of the state thing instead of just my school. And, you know, so I think that there's, whether you want to call it your calling or what just happens by destiny or whatever, you know, we're all a little bit different. And for whatever reason, I just had that skill. And um, so I've always thought that my goal is to basically be a leader of other people. I, I don't think that I have some hard skills, like, you know, my background is in copywriting and digital marketing and systems, but a lot of that's, you know, other than the deep psychology of why people buy things, a lot of that changes. So, you know, what was working six months ago or a year ago, especially with AI is not necessarily gonna work right now. The algorithms are always changing in digital marketing. Um, softwares are always being updated. You know, someone has something on their resume that sounds amazing, but it's actually, gonna slow them down nowadays so i don't think that i'm like oh i'm gonna be the best at this one thing but i like the meta patterns of you know general success and leadership and why people do what they do and so if i'm you know called for anything like i want to be a a good sounding board for other people to be able to express their passions yeah so I think what you're saying too is is like this ability to lead others and lead leaders kind of came innate to you, like most of your life, I would imagine. Yeah, I used to think, so I went through a phase, I was the CEO of a company called Mentorbox and we had, it was basically a competitor of Masterclass and we had, uh, instead of audio books like Audible, it was yeah. video books and we had really high level people like, New York Times number one best-selling authors, right? So uh, Pulitzer Prize winners, Nobel Prize winners, like the top of the top, and you know books that everyone would recognize. And we had them come to the studio in San Francisco. It was you know proper San Francisco startup. This is really where I cut my teeth in in digital marketing. And I, people would come there, and I had to read all of the books because we had to know the book 
pretty much as well as the author did because sometimes weirdly four years later they forgot you know what was in chapter three and you know it's like they've they're they've moved on and you know we yeah. we, we would buy like five thousand copies of their book and send them to uh to our subscribers and so in exchange they would come and they would talk about their 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 book basically summarize their book on camera and so i went through this phase of three years where i read like 500 nonfiction books and at the time i at that moment in my life i was like everything can be systematized you got to do this and do this and i was very you know by the bootstraps you can do it type of vibe and not to say that i don't believe that anymore but i think a lot is dna Mm. And the more that I've, the more you kind of get through the self-development and basic business and basic sales and basic branding, you start to think about history and psychology. And, you know, you start to read things that are a little bit more complex and uh, philosophy. And a lot of that has led to me to be even doing like reading some books about biology. And I feel like DNA has a lot to say in, you know, who we are and personality even and that sort of thing. So yeah i think that you know just you, like my wife for example like her her brain is very creative in ways that mine is not and she thinks i'm kind of silly and how i can't think of you know like if you give me a blank page i'm kind of like i don't know what you want me to do you know <laughs> give me a goal you know what am i what am i solving for what's the equation like i can do that um whereas she might take you know way longer than me to make what i what i think is like a simple decision but it's because her brain is thinking about it from like every single angle and so there's pros and cons with that and i don't think that's how we were raised i think that there's a dna aspect to that so i think my yeah that's a very long answer to yeah i think a lot of it's innate yeah no and it's a good answer i like that i talk about that a lot because i think especially saying you know your why is that you want to be that 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 fuel and that person who can help other leaders kind of reach a, reach their potential. I don't think it's exact words you said, but that's what I pulled from what you shared. Um, and then you had said that's something that you just had always gravitated towards. I like to, and I speak on this show a lot about the innate things, the things that come innate to us. We often, and this was personal experience for myself as well, we often take them for granted and we don't see them as skills or special or valuable or we, you know, imposter syndrome is such a trending like buzzword right now. So dare I even speak of it? But I think that's where that creeps in a lot is because things come innate to us and we're a natural born leader. We're natural leader of leaders. We, if we aren't introspective, if we don't tap into and understand that those innate things are skills and that not everyone gets them, like your point with your example of you and your wife, we you know, we could look at ourselves and see ourselves as imposters. So I think it's super pertinent to talk about in, in the, in the business world and in our passion, passionate world as well. I want to step back before we keep diving down that one. So you'd said for as long as you can recall, you've always just been a leader and that, and I love that. I have some similar fun or I have some fun stories of that, but I want to hear what, Jonathan as like a young child was doing, whether it's a Jonathan at five years old, Jonathan at 10 years old, maybe Jonathan at 15 years old. Like, what can you reflect back on where that natural leader kind of started to shine for you? And it, it might not be the, the first moment, but the one that pulls your memory right now. Yeah. So I grew up in both Michigan and Ohio sort of equally. So my first six years were in Michigan. And then I went to the University of Michigan for college and 
but high school and middle school, I went. To, I lived in Ohio for you know my was where my da dad had a job, and I remember in Ohio is really big into Olympic wrestling. That's like a big, you know, like real wrestling um, is big in Ohio and Pennsylvania, that region of the country. And so my school was you know ranked really high in the nation for wrestling, and we had a lot of people that ended up doing really well, like all the way to the Olympic level. And so oh, wow. we started when we were like five years old. So, you know, just the same way that like T-ball, but we had the same thing, but for wrestling. And um, I remember, you know, just getting obsessed with that because one of my friends at the time started in first grade and his, you know, maybe there's some ego involved, honestly, like in hindsight, but the, his, his name would always be on the loudspeaker for like the whole school. It was like Nick Wiley, you know, first place at this tournament, blah, blah, congratulations, you know, everyone's clapping. And I was like, what's this wrestling thing? So then I started in second grade because I actually liked him. Like, how is he getting all this recognition? And then did that for a really long time, uh, you know, ended up doing at a really high level, was on like the Ohio All-Star team and was a captain of the team. And But then by ninth grade i stopped um even the, the year before i actually went to a national tournament in disney world and got second place so i was like oh nice and, and i had i was training at the olympic training center like i played at a really high level and but then i quit mostly because of my relationship with my dad and it just was sort of toxic and i didn't want to do it anymore but i switched to uh speech and debate oh. forensics right which was kind of an opposite extreme. Total, so then I was total like, 360 or yeah. 180. There we go, 180. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and my best friend was um, the like lead in the theater. You know, he was the lead in like the musical theater. And so then I joined the theater group. And I think that I was, in hindsight, that was the greatest thing ever because now I'm comfortable, you know, I'm yeah. speaking on podcasts like this and being a, being a, a an executive or owning a company you know we have over 400 employees in my company and so whenever we do an all hands meeting or if i speak at an event or something like that it just having the ability to articulate what you want to say and not feel nervous about it is an incredible skill much more than wrestling and so i'm, I'm actually very happy that i did that so i all that is to say that you know i think whenever someone competes at a pretty competitive level at anything whether it's a sport or uh, you know, theater or anything in between. I think it it can teach you real stakes, and uh, and I think that's good. You know, when you're a kid, and I just grew up in a very like competitive school in everything, and like even my speech and debate team. You know, we would fly around the country to tournaments, and you know, we weren't just. It wasn't like me versus my you know rival school down the street. Like I remember going to Atlanta and Salt Lake City and Los Angeles, and like going to these tournaments and speaking in theaters and all that kind of stuff. So that was, my childhood was very, very, I played tennis as well, but you know, it was very competitive, I think. Yeah. And so that probably trained me for entrepreneurship pretty well. I find it fascinating that before you're even like, you're so driven, right? You're driven, you're competitive. Um, you're, you know, you do things at, at a high level, right? You don't, if you're going to do it, you go all in it is what I'm hearing from these, these stories you shared before you even started with wrestling, which by the way, my husband listens to the shows and he's probably like definitely applauding right now. He loves wrestling, uh, especially as for younger children, just because it teaches them so much skill, patience, uh, reservation. Like there's so many really good things about wrestling. So um, I was excited when you said that because we talk about that all the time. But yeah. even before you dove into that, you heard 
your competitiveness, that innate like competitor in you and that leader and that rec like desire, like person who's desiring some recognition. And, and I don't mean that in egotistical and that an ego has such a negative connotation, but I, I wish it didn't because it's such a powerful world word to help us understand our emotions and our feelings. But even in that first grade, Jonathan pre pre wrestler, he hears Timothy Keller or whatever his <laughs> name is. I'm probably getting it wrong, but you know, you hear him over the loudspeaker and you're like motivated by that. You're like you said, that natural leader in you was there. And that was kind of the catalyst to get you to compete, to get into the ring, so to speak. Right. Have, have you ever really like, does that resonate with you? Yeah, a hundred percent. I, one thing that I've thought about in sales and copywriting, um, there's this idea that we only buy, like if you ask why, 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 why enough, then you're eventually mm -hmm. going to get to like, why do people really buy what they buy? And I've heard that there's you know only a few things. So one is money, but money is a base for everything else. And, and because money can help with everything. So obviously people want an ROI, especially in any B2B business, you know, it's like, what is the ROI? So money is obvious, but another one is mating. So, you know, you want basically companionship or community or, you know, a significant other people do that. Another thing is esteem. So this, I think, is actually what we were getting to is that, you know, Nick was like had this very high esteem in the school because everyone was like, wow, he's so good. And so there's probably part of me that wanted to be like in, in a, a position of like people thought of me as like, wow, that's, you know, esteem. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, you know, another one would be like mastery, right? Like just some kind of the love of the game. Like I just I want to get better and better and better at it. Uh, and then, you know, we, we also buy things for safety, you know, like just the basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But anyways, so you know, each person or some people buy things for freedom as well, but there's, there's, you know, maybe let's say five to 10 base, base emotions of why everyone buys everything. And people, you know, are more or less on the spectrum. Like, you know, like for me, money is very important, but it's because of freedom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were talking before the podcast came on and it's like, I live in Cairo. I have a place in Puerto Rico. I'm going to the United States. I've been to Europe six times this year. I'm moving to like, I like movement and freedom. And, you know, I like that energy that I can work from my computer. So freedom is actually money is actually just a tool for freedom for me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, other people, you know, have different things. But there was obviously that little, you know, esteem button was pushed, you know, in the little Jonathan and was like, hey, I want to be recognized for something. And but then I think the, the cool thing about it is that, especially with wrestling more than anything, it's physical and there's actual, like at that level, it's not quite as violent, but it's fairly violent. You know, it's, there's literally, it's like a controlled fight. And so you're, you're shown very quickly that there's consequences. And mm -hmm. you know, there's, like there, there are real consequences in the real world. Like you can literally get hurt yeah. at that level. Or, you know, even if it's baseball, the consequences are you lost, like you actually lost. And I didn't grow up in a, you know, time where we got eighth, eighth place trophies. So, you know, you've lost. And um, I think that that's actually good, you know, because it's like you, you're, you're taught that there's consequences. So it, I was, I remember the first tournament that I went to, like I got killed, you know, just, it was like, oh, I want to, it's the gap between, oh, I want to have my name on the loudspeaker and <laughs> I got killed in my first practice is like, oh, okay, I got a pretty long mountain to climb here, you know, before. And so, you know, I would probably, it took, probably took, you know, four years until I was any good. And so, you know, it just, that, that persistence and consistency and discipline and 
overcoming adversity and stoicism. You know, it's all of those, all of those meta lessons are, are built into like childhood sports. I think it's very powerful. Yeah, you you also learned a lot of humility and and in that, right? Going from this, like you said, esteem place, which I love the way you broke those different whys down, but this place of like, oh, okay, I wanna I wanna be on the loudspeaker to doing the work, being driven, showing up, put putting your all in to then get to that first tournament where you're like, okay, this is the moment I'm gonna be on the loudspeaker to being like, oh like reality check <laughs> this is a little bit harder than you think or you know it's not going to just go your way because you did x y and z how do, how has that i think i just always love these conversations they're so fascinating to me because there's so much in our upbringings that shape us and i don't i don't know if we always like take the time to go down that journey but now jonathan as a leader today like since we just went back down memory lane, what sort of values or what sort of lessons have you pulled out, whether intentionally or, or just by happenstance, that you continue to bleed into the team you have today? Like whether it's called core values or just the way that you, you know, choose to lead your team, what does that look like? I think that probably the biggest one is playing at a level, like understanding that there's levels to the game. And because we had coaches that were literally in the Olympics, because we were our high school was ranked in the top 10 and the literally in the United States, and we would go to the big national tournaments. And so, you know, bleeding all the way down to even the the grade school team, it was fairly serious, even at that level, because to be serious when you're 17, you have to start serious when you're six, and there's no other way around it. And so we had people in the room that would come that were like, oh, this is an Olympic silver medalist, or this is someone that won the NCAA tournament, or this is a guest coach for the summer program that was you know, a three-time All-American at Ohio State University or whatever. You know, so it's one thing to, to be like, oh, I got an A on my you know, reading test in second grade in my class. Like, that's fine. That is competition, and that's you versus yourself, and that can teach you something. But I think what happened was, the same thing with my speech and debate team. We were literally like the national rankings. We were ranked second in the nation. And I wow. was the captain of that team. And so when you're playing at, you know, there's 300 million people in the United States, obviously divide that by, you know, 80 right. years, you know what I mean? The grades, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not actually, you know, and then how many people are actually in wrestling? I understand, you know, I'm, I can reverse engineer the math. So you're not the best out of everyone, but nonetheless, you are competing against a lot of people. And that, to, to bring this you know around to business is that I've never limited where I think is possible because I think you know and this is probably a lesson to a lot of people where it's like hey your mentors matter when you're young because if someone's always saying well you know that's stupid why would you think that way like I remember when I was young when people would say what do you want to do when you grow up I would always say be the president of the United States and both my parents and everyone in my school would be like yeah that makes sense like there was no <laughs> There was no like, how dare you? Or who do you think you are trying to like, and I don't really have that goal anymore. But the point is that no one held me back. And, and I had this idea of like, yeah, I could win the Olympic gold medal. And if I choose to not continue, then that's my decision, but I could. And so the, I, I approach the same thing with my company. Like we have over 400 employees and I'm like, yeah, we'll get to 10,000. And it's not like a 
maybe i hope maybe you know i'm praying it's like it's like right. no we will it might take 20 years but like as long as i continue improving and i play the infinite game and i don't stop like we'll get there it's inevitable yeah. like i'm not gonna like there's no doubt in my mind and so i think that that is probably it's it's hard if you didn't have that growing up where people believed in you and you had these these like these relationships with people that are at a very 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 high level you 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 get caught up in the like local version of that right mm -hmm. where where you're like oh the the big guy in you know the big fish in the small pond where we had big fish in the big pond in my life when i was young and so that made me dream i think a lot of a lot bigger and also at the university of michigan was a pretty wild experience i didn't really learn anything like in terms of <laughs> i just didn't like in terms of like book, actual wise, yeah, right? book like nothing yeah. like nothing practical but <laughs> but there there also was that level where it's like your professor is like the book you're reading is written by your professor and you're like what is this you know that's that's weird you know like to where the class you're like oh the top three expert in the world in anthropology in this thing is like literally the person sitting right here and so again just checking off the boxes if if, if the meta lesson is probably just like choose your mentors wisely and it's yeah. good to have people in your local area that's fine but also like especially with social media like don't like all of the highest high literally the highest people are also available yeah. and you know don't hold yourself back i i really love talking about that and i i think there's a lot of other examples where people are trying to say what we're talking about like you know they say the summary of of like your potential can be summarized by the potential of the five people you're closest to right and i love this idea of phases and kind of con like i i picture them as like comp compartments right if we see ourselves in like compartment a and compartment a started and ended and that's where we feel good that's where we'll stay but if we like continue to know that and even know and acknowledge that there's a B, C and a D and these other like levels, maybe levels is a better. And I think we tend to get stagnant. Um, we as in, you know, different points in our life, it could be our whole life, it could be phases of our life. Um, but then I think the more interesting thing is the power. I think one of the biggest power isn't just going from one phase to the next. I think that's super powerful. That's how we evolve obvious right but to me and this is where i struggle and maybe you've felt this too um is that when i then level up let's call it level up i struggle with looking back and thinking and almost resenting the previous self in that previous level because i'm like why was i not this good why did i not you know instead of recognizing well I, i'm just simply i wasn't that good at that level and i wasn't that educated or edge or experienced or whatever the new level things i now have I, I look back at those previous levels and I'm like, I, you know, almost, like I said, almost resentful. So I just find, I wonder if that's actually even a way, a reason why we stifle ourselves, just kind of that protective mechanism. I'm just kind of spitballing like no, for sure. what you said, but no, I think, I think, you know, you're the old version of you died. Mm -hmm. And so you're some, some part of you is protecting your current self. And so that's, I think, one aspect of it. And another aspect of it is it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, Tom Bilyeu says, your goals will require a sacrifice. And, you know, the next level is going to require a sacrifice. And so there's a part of you that 
doesn't want to do what's necessary to get to the next level because you know it requires probably public failure a lot. And so you're like, oh, I'm gonna you know, hold myself back because we're afraid of being kicked out of the tribe and our amygdala and we don't wanna be, you know, and so we're actually like really fearful of this. And so one, it's difficult and we wanna be lazy and just do the easier thing. And then two, we don't want our current self to die because we'd rather have homeostasis than step into this new thing that we don't even know what it is. We kind of predict it, but we don't really know. And then once you're there, usually what happens is you feel great about yourself, right? And to an extent, but you also think, well, this, I feel this way every time I get in shape again, where this, you know, this is like a, a roller coaster. I think of all humans in terms of, you know, versions of, of, uh, of how in shape you are. And when I'm, consistent for six months, whatever I'm doing, I'm always like, what, why were you such an idiot? Like, this isn't yeah. that hard. Like, just, yeah. just do the thing, just go to the thing. You actually feel better. Like, you know, you're, you have more energy. It's easier. Like you're, you feel good about yourself. You look better. Your wife is happier. Like everyone's happier yeah. and you just didn't want to do this thing. And then, then you start to get kind of complacent, complacent. And then you get, yeah. you know, it's this yo-yo. And so I, I, I think that that's a part of it as well, where, you know, you, once you get over the hump, you realize that a lot of, a lot of the boogeyman was in your own head. Mm -hmm. And so then you're like, damn, that was not as difficult as I thought. And, yeah. you know, why weren't you strong enough? So you're almost like, uh, yeah. I, I, so the way I think about it, one of my mentors told me, um, he said, you should be, you should try to be embarrassed by who you were a, a month ago, every month, Ooh. meaning, meaning that, like if you because we all look back and we're like oh my god i can't believe i did with that when i was 18 i can't believe i did <laughs> you know there's like these five stories that you tell yourself that you're just like uh like so embarrassing or you know whatever it may be right now you you would never do anything like that now which is why you're embarrassed of it because you're like oh my god i was such an idiot and but imagine feeling like that every month what that means is you're making some crazy fast progress so there's actually it's actually a positive thing but he says you have to couple it with being with forgiving yourself, uh, and yeah. it, right? So it's this, it's the, it's a two-sided coin. So, the, you know, on the one hand, you're like, okay, I'm going to improve so fast that I'm embarrassed by what I didn't know a, a month ago, but I'm also going to forgive myself for not knowing what I know now, because how could I have? Right. And so, you know, it, then it becomes a virtuous cycle rather than a vicious cycle. I love that. That's such a great like way to frame it because I think we feel that way anyway. We just don't acknowledge or put words to it. Maybe not every month, maybe, maybe every day <laughs> for goodness sakes. But um, I think definitely in phases of our life, like it's so true. We all could kind of reflect back after listening to this and think about at least one experience where we're like, I would never even tell that story again. <laughs> maybe I would now because enough time has gone by, but like, and that's also our huge lessons learned like that. Those are, by being actually embarrassed, it means we've, you know, uh, like my husband says all the time, the best lesson is a bump, right? Because, yeah. you know, you're going to remember that. And so I think embarrassment, especially for, you know, especially for the type of people who'd be listening to this show and the type of people who are going to be going into entrepreneurship, you know, we do like that esteem, that ego, that pride, like we really most of the people who are listening to this are going to agree that like that's really prideful in them so they could probably handle the bump actually a whole lot easier easier than a little ego ego uh you know hit so 
Well, I can't even imagine, I can't even believe how fast this conversation is going. I've loved talking with you. I want to dive really quickly into how everything we've been talking about um, that, that, you know, makes you, you has bled into the work you're doing now with virtual worker. Now, um, tell me a little bit about what, what that is, who it's for, um, what kind of has gotten you the most excited about this co-founding of this. Um, and then maybe a really, I, this is a long two-part question, but, um, also a good way to get into your world so that listeners can dive in and learn more about you. Yeah. So I'll give you the quick origin story. So I was the CEO and first employee, and then they ended up giving me equity in a, a company called Mentorbox. And we had like 200,000 students and it was a online course platform, $7 a month and sort of like Netflix, you get access to all of these courses, but they were surrounding uh, authors and books. So things like The Subtle Art Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson or you know, Presence by Amy Cuddy or you know, these types of books that are you know, very well known. And we needed a lot of video editing, a lot of graphic design, a lot of copywriting, a lot of customer support. And in San Francisco, someone like that base salary plus taxes plus insurance is north of $100,000 payroll per person. And so, yeah. I mean, it, that's just the standard of living. If you want them to be able to pay their rent and buy groceries, that's what it is. And so we started to think, well, let's outsource some of this. And so we tried Fiverr and Upwork and you know, various agencies and kind of everything and, you know, probably spent half a million dollars on the wrong things. And eventually my now business partner said, Hey, you know, I have this small agency that was doing video editing work. And he said, I can find you some people, you know, he's half uh, Canadian, half Egyptian. Well, not half and half. Well, he's, he has dual citizenship. And he says, uh, I can find you some people. And I said, yeah, okay, cool. And so we tested some video editors. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then he says, I can get you a designer. Okay, wow, this is amazing. And then, hey, you know, my COO needs an assistant. Okay, oh my God, that's amazing. Hey, you know what? We, we want to do phone where we answer the phones, not just do email customer support. Hey, we'll build a team. And so we just kept on expanding. And then I started giving him referrals and referrals and referrals. And he said, um, hey, you know what? Like, instead of us giving you just a finder's fee or an affiliate commission, why don't you come on as my partner? Because you're, I'm more of an operator. He's more of the kind of visionary, you know, sales and networking, and we might be a good partnership. And he's like, at some point, this is going to break. We're going to need systems. You know, like it's one thing to have 10 people or 20 people. It's another thing to have 5,000. It's a totally different universe. And so he said, why don't you come on as a partner? And then similarly, you know, what was, even though I was a CEO, it's still a job, you know, you're, you're, and the other one I was 50, 50 owner of, and eventually it tipped. And so since then, you know, it's grown, you know, really quickly in the last four years. And what we do is we're basically a, a backend, like a full stack backend solution for services. So companies will usually start with whatever their, their biggest problem is. So if you need a video editor for social media, we start there. If you need a copywriter for your email newsletter, we start there. If you need, you know, one website, we start there. If you need a personal assistant, we start there. If you need a marketing assistant, we start there. We want a customer. You know. And so the idea is we have these different departments and department heads and recruiting for each department. But then our goal is to, after we solve your first problem, we become kind of your go-to solution. So mm -hmm. whenever, as you're expanding, 
they say, well, you know what? Virtual Worker Now will always have. So, hey, can you get me a cold caller too? Yeah, we'll get you that. Can you get me a social media team? Yeah, we'll get you that. And so then we just kind of expand together. We do only month to month, which our clients really like. So there's no long-term commitments. And what it does is it allows us to like expand and contract. So a lot of our e-commerce stores, for example, are like adding a lot of customer support for the Christmas season, but we don't feel oh, bad. Yeah. And they don't feel bad for like, hey, we know you only really need it for November or December, and we're gonna pull back in, in January. They don't have to hire in-house. Yeah, We basically train their team internally because we already have people there. And so it just, these types of, it's, we, we offer a lot of flexibility. Um, and we're not like the craziest expensive for VAs. We're not the cheapest. We're like $7 an hour. So it's somewhere in the middle. And, but you know, we stand by our quality. Everyone is, you know, highly vetted and trained and everything like that. And so, yeah, that's, that's what we do. I think our, you know, our competitive advantage is that we are full stack. So a lot of agencies will just do like administrative VAs, whereas we do creative and administrative and marketing and kind of, we have different departments so we can help you with everything. And then um, I would and say there's everything. What areas of the world? Uh, mostly we work with Canadian, American, UK, Australia. Um, okay. Those are our clients, and we source from all over. We get that question a lot. I mean, we're we have a lot in Egypt and Lebanon just because we're uh, my business partner is in Egypt. I'm in Egypt right now, but we have from the Philippines and India and South America. We're fairly country agnostic as long as we find the right person, you know. Yeah, I love um, that. and then. Um, oh, how do I get in touch? Okay, so the, or, yeah, that's a good way to like kind of learn interact. more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a YouTube channel. Um, oh, uh, just Jonathan Kendall. I just launched like a month ago, so that's good. I post three times a week, and then um, my Instagram. I post like three times a day, so there's always a lot of content on Instagram. So you can follow me in either one of those. If you search Jonathan Jonathan with an O at the end, Kendall. Um, you'll be able to find me. I'm usually the first person that pops up. And then for, uh, if you're interested in VAs, um, you can always just go to our website and schedule a call. And me and my business partner still take every single call because we think of them okay. as relationships. And so it's not gonna be some like salesperson. And we also don't, we like won't even take any money on the first call. Like it's a very relationship-based thing. It's consultative. And we might tell you that you don't need a VA and you know, you should, hire an ad agency instead like You'll you know i'm not honest yeah we'll be really honest with whatever we think you need and um so there's you know it's more of a consulting thing and then if it ends up working out that you need something we'll usually send you a bunch of resumes of people that we think would be a good fit and you know our sales cycle is very long so you know we're the opposite of high pressure sales so don't worry about scheduling a call and talking with us it's you know we we think very lifetime value yeah, I love that. It's it's very refreshing because it tends to be the opposite <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, world sure. today. Yeah. It's it's get them in and then don't let them go. Hold on tight. Yeah. Um, well, I really, I I truly believe in what you do um, as far as connecting um, business owners and in, in you know, like you said, Australia, Canada, 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 U.S. Uh, or U.K. Um, yeah. Anywhere in the world, honestly, I personally built my team from with you know, team members around the world. And it has been the most beautiful, amazing. I mean, I literally get teary eyed every time I talk about my team. <laughs> Gosh, I got to figure out how to control that. But it's been the most beautiful thing to work with people around the world. Um, because it was this unexpected blessing to learn more about other cultures and to just have these conversations with other people who've just lived life a little differently than you. Um, and so you know, to me, you know, the, the, the day daily tasks of a job sure need to get done, but like the worldly 
understanding of myself and humans more has just been eye-opening and beautiful. And so I, I believe in what you do with connecting people with other people around the world. And I have also seen it work beautifully for my own agency and other agencies for that scale factor and for that, you know, get out of the, the rat race, like you had mentioned very early on in our call. Um, it's, it's super powerful. So if you're listening to this, if you've made it this far, check the show notes, take Jonathan, Jonathan with an O, <laughs> take him up on the opportunity to just have a call, have a no pressure call. See if this is a world that's supportive for you or helpful for you as a personal advocate of this kind of structured, you know, opportunity. Uh, I think you will, you will be in a month to month. What a no brainer. So I think you will be pleasantly surprised at the opportunities to help relieve a little load from yourself um, by just giving Jonathan a call. So thank you so much for coming on. I've loved this conversation. Any last things before we jump off? No, thank you so much for, for having me. I appreciate it. And I'd love to have you on our podcast that we launched as well. Yeah, I would love to learn more. We'll have to talk about that. All right, guys, until next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Passion on Purpose podcast. I truly hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. So if you did, please rate, review, and share. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, whether a leader or an expert, please go to getvim.com forward slash podcast, and you will find our application page or reach out to me directly and I can give you more information. 